Welcome to Uncomfortable Millennials. In Season 1's Modern Virtues, we explore how ancient philosophy and behavioural science can help us on the pursuit of happiness and self-development. Today's Modern Virtue is on friendship and connection. Welcome back. I'm Sonia Diab, once again talking to myself in a small room, so I'm very glad that you've joined me. Humans are social animals. Evolutionary theorists might suggest that one of the key reasons we've been able to survive as a species is through our ability to collaborate with each other. It's pretty well accepted that a level of socialising contributes in a positive way to our existence, but how much connection do we actually need? And what kind of connections do they have to be in order to fulfil us? There's a lot to explore today because friendship and connection is a giant topic and there are a lot of different perspectives on how to do it right. One of Aristotle's virtues is friendliness and we see a lot of beautiful discussion around friendship from the different philosophy schools. And yet, in the modern day we also have the flip side of the coin where one of the biggest critiques of social media, which is in theory the ultimate platform for socialising, is that it has the capacity to leave us feeling even less connected, even if we have loads of followers or connections. We also see some ancient philosophy that points to self-sufficiency, that I should be able to find happiness within myself, without external requirements beyond the basic ones to live. Some modern philosophies discuss being detached from external desires, and on the face of it, it almost seems as though having loads of friends that we rely on might be more of a burden than a benefit. So today we want to look at, if we're fostering connection and friendships as a virtue, to what extent do we need friends? Do people with more friends live happier lives? And what kind of friendships actually serve us? How can we foster more connection and enhance that in our lives? The structure we're looking at is first around quantity and some science on whether more friends might be better. Then on friendship quality and types of friendships, because not all friends are made equal. After that, I want to look at the case for the loner and see if being someone who likes solitude destines you for misery or not. (laughs) And finally, the last segment explores fostering friendship and connection as a virtue. So what's important in a friendship and how can we develop great ones? We'll also consider this in light of the modern context with technology and the fact that we're currently inevitably spending less physical time with our friends. Here we go. On friendship quantity, do we need more friends to be happy? I'm going to start with some snippets of science I found on this one. First of all, there seems to be a lot of studies that show that friendships are a good thing. That doesn't seem overly surprising. Research indicates that people with close friends tend to deal better with stress and different kinds of hardships. And empirically, research from the 60s all the way through to more recently indicates that friends are good for our well-being in a number of ways, from our physical health to our mental state. From the ancient philosophy perspective in general, our thinkers, Aristotle, Seneca, Cicero, Plutarch, Marcus Aurelius, surprisingly seem to all hold friendships in quite close regard. Friendship is virtuous. It seems almost odd for us in the modern day, I think, to consider that these men who wrote about such heavy topics like courage and justice and politics also spent a decent chunk of time considering friendship really deeply. 
it almost doesn't seem to have the same level of gravity. At least to my perception, we don't seem to spend that much time concentrating on or contemplating friendship these days. But to them, it was one of the most important relationships that anyone can have, so it was worthy of great discussion and great effort. Cicero said, quote, It is the most satisfying experience in the world to have someone you can speak to as freely as your own self about any and every subject upon earth. And he likened good friendship to being the best thing, aside from virtue, bestowed upon humans by the gods. On the question of quantity, Cicero suggested that there's no such thing as too much friendship, but he also said that generally your older, stronger friendships should rank above the newer ones. And on quantity of friendships, some studies I found did indeed suggest the more the merrier. One study of adolescence, for example, found that loneliness was negatively related to the quantity of friends and lower quality best friendship. So in other words, the more friends that these adolescents had, the less lonely they were. And a high quality best friendship also helped in their happiness. The idea that friends are good by itself, it leads us to a follow on thought that if our friendship network is larger, then that might be better for us as well. However, even if we have a general idea here that friends are good, and more friends might therefore be even better, my next thought was surely there's a limit here to our capacity for friends. I mean, so many of us have found ourselves muttering, you know, I don't need any more friends when someone we don't like much tries to connect with us. So there has to be some sort of limit. I thought it might be best to go about it in this way, sort of like how Michelangelo went about carving marble, you know, starting from the outside block and getting the external shape first. So we can start with where the limits of friendship quantity might be and then work on the details of what should be important within that. On average, according to a 2019 poll of 2000 Americans, the average American has three best friends, five close friends and eight friends they don't spend one-on-one -on -one time with but they still like. So 16 friends, half of which they're close with and half not as close with. They also on the broader level had 50 acquaintances and 91 social media friends. I'm not really sure still what a social media friend is exactly, but there you go. This poll doesn't show us what's optimal to have as far as friendships go, but it gives us a nice idea of averages to consider. Another study in 2009 assessed students across over 120 schools to explore the relationship between quantity of friendships and greater depressive symptoms. One finding was that for these adolescents, as the amount of their friendships increased, their depressive symptoms reduced until they got to about 12. When they had more than 12 friends though, the depressive symptoms actually increased along with the size of the friendship network. So after 12, more friends actually stopped being a good thing. So in a weak attempt to try and keep this Michelangelo metaphor going, the marble we're starting to see form seems to show that it may be the case that more is better to a point. And when I was looking into the limits of human friendships, it also led me in a different direction and I found myself looking at evolutionary theory on our social capacity. Anthropologist Robert Dunbar and his colleagues explored lots of data around group sizes across history. So what different communities looked like over time and how big a group had to get before it would start splitting off into smaller groups. And their whole concept was that there's a correlation between our brain size and our group size. 
And so the brain, therefore, would have a limited capacity for our social systems, which makes sense. We have to have some sort of limit. It would be like conceivably trying to date 10 people and foster meaningful romantic relationships with 10 people at the exact same time. I mean, that to me just sounds absurd. It sounds like it's something that can't be done. Maybe, maybe you don't agree with that. I don't know. But Robert Dunbar is now known for what's called the Dunbar number, which is 150. And the idea that based on all of the data that they analyze, we can really only maintain about 150 genuine meaningful contacts in our lives. I actually thought that was quite funny by itself because I've been to some huge weddings where there were definitely more than 300 people. So by this theory, that means that they were inviting some guests that they shouldn't have in all of those situations. But more importantly for our purpose, also within Dunbar's theory is the idea of nesting circles within their diagram. So in this, they've also got the idea that we have the capacity for five loved ones, 15 good friends, and 50 friends before we get to 150 meaningful contacts. So on the friendship side, he would cap that capacity at 15 good friends, which is similar to the average number that we saw in the poll earlier. So thus far, we're seeing that friendship is good. And even though friends are good, we probably can't handle loads and loads of them, partly because that might not even be manageable. And there seems to be a sweet spot that you'd expect probably changes depending on the person, but still has a cap. So far, it seems the friend cap can tap out anywhere between from between sort of 12 to around 16 people. But then we've also mentioned that the quality of best friendship might be important. And as abrupt as it might sound to say, we all rank our friends. Most people, if they had to, would be able to lay out a little hierarchy of that's my best mates, they're my closer friends, and then they're my less close friends and so on. And maybe you've never consciously done that before because you're probably a nice enough person to not outwardly rank your friends. But if you tried, you probably could. And so my next question was, okay, friends are good, so more friends might be better, but not too many. But then does that mean we need the maximum amount of friends we can manage in order to maximize our happiness? Or does the who matter more than the how many? And thus the quality versus quantity debate comes into play. Types of friendship. Some of our ancient thinkers have some ideas here. Aristotle categorizes friends into three different groups. The first is friendship of pleasure, where, for example, you both like the same thing and that drives your friendship. I think of a group of old men who play golf together or footy buddies or a friend that you always go to gigs with because you have the same interest in music. I think this is a nice kind of friendship, but of course, I mean, if you ever decided you didn't want to go to gigs anymore, then in that case, there wouldn't be too much for the friendship to fall back on. So. It's fun and pleasant, but it's not particularly deep. The second category is friendships of utility, where it's in the best interest of both parties to have a connection. For example, with work friends, you might have someone you've given that ever controversial title to of work husband or work wife, that colleague who's your go-to confidant at work, but you never see each other outside of office hours. The friendship makes the time at work better and easier for both of you. Inevitably, we have friendships of utility in business with networks and clients and in other areas. And it sounds a bit harsh and manipulative saying it like that, but it's still a kind of friendship. It's just not as strong as the next one. The final category is real, authentic friendship. 
Aristotle contends that these friendships are for people who are already virtuous. They're just, friendly, courageous, and so on. So it's like two good people coming together to make a really good friendship. And this is the person you can really be yourself with. This is the person that makes you better. And this is the person that you really want to connect with. And of course, in the modern day also, most people would separate their own friendships. Those are my best friends, those are my close friends, my work friends, my old friends. No, we're just friends. And the category, which sadly has no qualifier and seems the least important as a result, a friend. And if we look into this a little deeper, the fact that we prioritise some friends over others itself suggests that surely there's some relevance to this in our question. Surely there's some science on the impact of different types of friendships. And there is. A study published this year in 2020 looked at almost 1,500 people to assess their happiness and the size of their social networks, including close friends, family, neighbours and peripheral others. This one was really interesting because a lot of the studies I'd found so far had focused around kids, adolescents or college students, but here they took age into account and they had some really interesting findings. They found that, unsurprisingly, Younger people tended to have a wider network overall. So they had more peripheral people, which makes sense, especially with social media these days. People that they knew, people that they could say hello to in the street, I don't know, but not that close with. But despite this, and in congruence with many other studies, older people in general were happier than younger people. They found that the amount of close friends people had didn't relate to their age. So you didn't necessarily have more or less close friends if you were younger or older. But the main connection they found was that close friends were the main driver of well-being and especially related to social satisfaction. So in other words, they asserted that how people perceive the quality of their close friendships and their network is actually more important than the size of the network itself. So close friends, good close friends, are the kicker. There was more research that was interesting that for younger adults, more close friendships still connected to lower happiness levels compared with older adults. And there's a suggestion there that for younger adults, closer relationships might be a bit more emotionally draining and involve more negative interaction. So you don't have as much of that, they assert, <laughs> they suggest when you're older. Interesting stuff that again, it comes down to quality over quantity. And Aristotle's purported saying perhaps comes in here as well in quote, he who has many friends has no friends. Logic says that if good close relationships are the ones that matter, if I spend all my time trying to maintain really large networks of friends, I surely then have less energy to dedicate to nurturing the ones that matter the most. So I do wonder if that plays a role in it as well. You can tell from some of the philosophers, even with their own lives, that close friendships mattered a lot to them. Cicero and Seneca both wrote letters to their best friends. When Cicero talks about friendships in a letter to his friend Atticus, great name, he says, quote, we need friendship all the time, just as much as we need the proverbial prime necessities of life, fire and water. I'm not speaking of ordinary commonplace friendships, delightful and valuable though they can be. What I have in mind instead is the authentic, truly admirable sort of relationship, the sort that was embodied in those rare pairs of famous friends. He distinguishes too between those who are friends to gain something and real friendship which doesn't have any pretenses or fakeness. And even though I can't find too many distinctions, I have to think that they would say that close friendships are the only kinds of friendships they mean here simply because they put such a high bar of expectation on what a friendship should actually involve.
I did find one fascinating study from 1995 that compared friendships in the USA and Spain. In general, the findings were consistent with the hypothesis that some of the data has shown us so far in that as your friendship network increases, so too does your happiness. But they also found that for Americans, having close friends was more significant on happiness than having a wider quantity. But in Spain, quantity led to more happiness. It was proposed that that could have been because in Spain, perhaps the intimacy, the kind of intimacy that you seek out from close friendships is sought primarily through family. So your close friends would be less beneficial than your acquaintances that maybe you just go out and have a bit of fun with. In fact, in the study, having no close friendships had an overall positive effect on happiness in Spain, but no close friendships in the US correlated negatively. They also noted that sometimes socioeconomic status has an impact. So that one threw me a bit. That's a bit of a spanner in the works, but I suppose that it also goes to show that this is pretty complex. Something I'm thinking does make sense in light of all this is to conclude that in general, friends are good. So to a certain point, a good number of close friends can be really beneficial, but the quality of the relationships remains the most important thing. I think in our recent weird time also, if you've been in quarantine or ISO, you might have noticed as I have, that different kinds of friendships in your circle have made themselves a little more clear and prominent. Maybe it's that our further away friends, friendships of utility or pleasure or acquaintance type people, have demonstrated the relatively weak social ties because you haven't been able to do the activities that previously brought you together. Like if you have a group of friends that you always go out for a drink with, you might have noticed that those friends haven't really been present since bars have closed. And you might have even tried to FaceTime them for a catch up, but realized that you really were bonding over the activity more than the commonalities between each other, for example. And the deeper, closer friendships in this time might have risen to the surface for you and become a lot more apparent because in times of uncertainty, we tend to reach out to people that we trust the most. It's a thought. We've looked at how generally having more friends can be a good thing and also how the perceived quality of our friendships seems to override how many we have. In other words, closeness trumps quantity. I want to look now at the case for very few friends. The case for someone who likes to spend more time alone and not spend much time socialising with friends, the case for the loner. Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. And I think there are people out there who would advocate for being more of a loner, whether that means having a really small circle or having no friends at all. Before we go into it, there is research that loneliness is on the rise. And chronic loneliness is not a small deal. A number of studies suggest that the impact of loneliness can actually be quite physically harmful, increasing our probability of early death, affecting our immunity, sleep, stress, cognitive functioning and mental health. So we know loneliness is bad objectively. But I think for our purposes, we have to distinguish between loneliness and being alone. In other words, can I be alone or have very few friends without being lonely and while still having a high level of happiness? I thought that the Stoic School would be on board with this, and in a way they are. The Stoic School was founded by Zeno of Citium in about 300 BC, and their philosophy circles a lot around your mind, how you respond to things, focusing on what you can control and being mindful. So with the heavy focus on internal happiness and how we think, I was expecting that maybe they wouldn't be huge advocates for friendship. Turns out I was kind of half wrong there. 
In one of Seneca's letters, he talks about how often people misconstrue the Stoic idea that the wise man is content with himself, this idea that we should be self-sufficient. He says this means the wise man doesn't need friends for happiness because he is self-sufficient, so if he lost a friend, he wouldn't be upset about it because he has the Stoic mind, the mind Seneca references as invulnerable or above all suffering. However, just because you don't need friends doesn't mean you don't want them, doesn't mean they aren't a great thing that can be wonderful and bring pleasure and love and, at the very least, keep up your skill of practicing friendship. So even though it's not saying that we shouldn't have friends, certainly Seneca does suggest that you can survive with happiness without them if you need to. I struggled to find research on this. I did find one PhD dissertation from 2010 that found that for people who identify as loners, spending frequent amounts of time alone didn't necessarily lead to unhappiness or poor well-being. They found 21.7% of the study participants, including 20.6% of that group who were self-identifying loners, self-assessed average to high scores of happiness. I also found one interesting study by evolutionary psychologists that most people have an increase in life satisfaction if they socialize frequently with friends. But they also found that for more intelligent people, the effect is the opposite. That more frequent socialization with friends correlates to a lower life satisfaction with individuals who had a mean IQ of 115 or more. So I suppose if you're the kind of person who likes to be alone, maybe the next time your friends want to hang out and you don't want to, perhaps you could try saying, well, maybe I don't want to hang out with you because I'm extra smart. I don't know. <laughs> but I do think there is a case for loners here. We all feel the need to be alone sometimes, some people more than others. And there are arguments that solitude allows us cognitive and creative benefits where we can think more analytically and outside the box. We can think about ourselves differently and potentially undergo self-transformations because we're away from everyone and everything else. One theorist asserts that you can be a loner who's not lonely or anxious because if you have a passionate interest, then that can take up the psychological role of a friend or a support system for you. So for example, a writer's muse that emerges in the solitude. We also see with lots of philosophers, but particularly the Stoic school, this call to self-thought, to coming to our own decisions. And as I spoke about last episode, consulting yourself and not being influenced by everyone else. So although friendship clearly does help with our happiness, there has to be an argument for also ensuring that you're not losing yourself, your independence and your free thought in the process of it all by surrounding yourself with other people all the time. So I think based on this, I think I need to find more research, but there's certainly a case for loners as well if they're choosing solitude. And perhaps an important way to look at that perspective is that solitude and friendship are not necessarily mutually exclusive. You can maintain good friendships without having the noise of people around you all the time. You can be an introvert or have a smaller circle or enjoy spending time alone and still fulfill your inherent human desires for social connection. That's my take anyway. I'd love to hear yours and get your opinion on the matter. accept that friendship in general is a good thing to have and that the quality of our close friendships is more important than the quantity, if we're looking at friendliness or connection as a virtue, I want to know, well, what's important to a great friendship and how do I elevate that part of my life? By all ancient philosophical accounts, you should choose your friends wisely. Both Cicero and Seneca suggest that at first, 
you've got to be careful. You almost have to test out whether people would seem like they are good friends to have. Don't rush into it. It seems kind of akin to when you're dating someone. Don't go for friendship at first sight or propose marriage when you're just on date one. Marcus Aurelius in his meditation says in one passage, there's nothing worse than a wolf befriending sheep. Avoid false friendships at all costs. Seneca also warns of fair-weather friends, saying, quote, This explains the crowd of friend clusters about successful men and the lonely atmosphere about the ruined. The Stoics talk a lot about how time is the most precious resource we have, so it seems to make sense then that who you choose to invest your time and energy in is an important question that we shouldn't take lightly. Especially because, as some of our philosophers have said, one of the best things about friendship is helping each other be better people bringing out more virtue in each other. So it might follow that if you get caught up in the wrong crowd because you weren't paying enough attention to who you were forming friendships with in the first place, that poor decision-making can have a really bad effect on your life in the long term. So you want to find good, virtuous people and you want to be a good, virtuous person yourself. Plutarch talks about the flatterer as a kind of archetype fake friend. They're like the kind of person who just says whatever they think they need to in order to please you, even if they don't mean it. And they're pleasant and they're agreeable and they operate, I suppose, in a kind of manipulative way because they figure out how they should act to appeal to you and just do that. So they're inconsistent because they're not being their authentic self, just whoever they think they should be in order to appeal to you. On reading that, I thought back to a friend that I had years ago, and I used to think of this person, this sounds a bit mean, but I used to think of them as kind of like tofu because they would take on whatever personality was around them at the time. So depending on who they were with, they seemed to almost become a different person with a different personality. And I mean, in that case, that's not to say this person was intentionally disingenuous and we were quite young, so probably still finding their way in the world. But with the flatterer, I get this picture of a person who never really reveals their true self to you. There's just something sus going on. Hilariously, one of the things that Plutarch says you can do to tell if someone is just a flatterer is to, quote, give him a very absurd advice <laughs> and see how he reacts. Because if you gave someone really ridiculous advice that was obviously wrong or obviously not the right thing to do, a real friend would challenge you on that and say, hey man, what are you talking about? And they'd question you because real friends are authentic and honest with you. But the flatterer would simply go along with what you were saying, even though it was stupid. So in choosing friends, we want to look for genuine people. Along that same line, Cicero warns that friendships shouldn't be transactional. They shouldn't be based on some advantage that you might get from the relationship. And mind you, Cicero was in politics, so he probably saw a lot of people getting swindled by fake or manipulative friends in his time. This all seems to align a bit as well to Aristotle's idea of friendliness as a virtue. Aristotle's framework about virtues in general is interesting because for him, each virtue operates on a continuum, so sort of like a scale. And the best, most excellent part of the virtue, the one we should be aiming for, is right in the middle of the scale. Too much of a virtue or too little of it and we're not getting it right. We have to shoot for the middle. So in the case of friendliness, the level of excess, so having too much friendliness, that's when you have the kind of person who takes it too far. So they might be a bit of a doormat or someone who manipulates others with selfish motives. In other words, maybe you're someone who gives too much of yourself to others or you're overly nice, whether that's for external validation or just to get something out of them. And then you have the other side as well, which is the person who has too little of the virtue. And someone who has too little friendliness is obviously a bit of an ass. 
Those weren't Aristotle's words. The translation I have is a, quote, quarrelsome and surly sort of person. So if we try to look at this in the context of approaching people and beginning new relationships with them, perhaps it means that we also want to strike the middle here where we don't immediately cut people off. We're still friendly people, but we're also not over the top just to please them. We have good intentions with it. So we have to choose wisely. But then what? When we've decided to give someone our friendship, what do we do? How do we foster a great connection and ensure we're being a good friend to someone and we're also receiving the good kind of friendship in return? For Seneca, he says, quote, We advise a man to regard his friends as highly as himself, to reflect that an enemy may become a friend, to stimulate love in the friend and check hatred in the enemy. That line, especially that we're advising people to regard their friends as highly as they regard themselves, that's so powerful. I think that speaks to the seriousness with which Seneca and the other thinkers approach friendship. In what we need in a friendship, Cicero talks about how trust is key. And that comes from someone who's honest with us and companionable and has similar interests and ideas. Similar to Plutarch's comments on the flatterer versus the real friend, Cicero also talks about how a real friend, your true friend, will give you constructive criticism and they'll tell you the truth at all costs. They won't bitch about you behind your back or gossip, but to your face, they will criticize you when they don't agree with what you're doing. So this is the person who tells you that you've got lipstick on your teeth or your fly is undone, not the one who pretends it isn't happening. And this is the person who's honest with matters that are much less trivial than that as well. And he says they won't enjoy criticizing you. It's not going to come from a bad place or a place of envy. They'll probably hate doing it, but they will critique you and pull you up and call you out on things if they think they should because it's the right thing to do remembering in the whole context of this that you help each other to be your best selves. So even though you're supporting someone, you're not a blind cheerleader. You're honest and you're authentic and you're having real conversations. Cicero also gives reference to respect. He talks about how, say, you might be friends with someone and they might be more wealthy than you or they might be smarter than you or better at you at something. And if that's the case, that person shouldn't be an ass about it. If they know more than you, they shouldn't use that against you. They should still always treat you as their intellectual equal and help you to learn more if they know more than you. And this sense of treating each other with respect and equality is really important. He also advocates for empathy, saying that basically sometimes with friendships, people go through bad things and that's simply a part of it. We need to stick with people through the good and the bad and be compassionate towards them when bad things do happen. I've been thinking a lot about these ideas in the last couple of days, especially the way the ancient thinkers focus on trust and honesty and respect and empathy and treating your friends as you would yourself. And I have to wonder if this is maybe one of the things where our modern society has gone astray a little bit. I wonder if perhaps with social media, we've first of all conditioned ourselves to seek out more of these shallow level friendships, more connections with less actual connection. And maybe we're assuming that these are fulfilling our real needs for connection when actually they're more about external validation on a cheaper level. So we're acquiring and collecting Facebook friends or followers or likes or whatever, hoping that that's going to fulfill our need for social connection when all it's doing is making us feel validated. 
And second, related to that, I wonder if we're losing touch with the essence of being your true authentic self and not simply being whoever we think people are going to like. Because in all of this, we can see that one of the most important things is about being open about who you are and giving to a friendship the kind of effort and commitment and honesty that a real relationship actually needs. And I wonder if as a society, we've started conditioning ourselves to value the connections that fulfill the need for external validation more than the actual nitty gritty real connections. I'm not sure. It seems clear that when it comes to friendship, everyone has different needs. If you think about your own circle, you probably have some people who like to speak with you more frequently and other friends that you hardly see, but when you do, you're able to be as open and vulnerable with them as you are with yourself. So I think we need to keep in mind that there are always going to be individual preferences when it comes to friendship. Some research looks at friendship maintenance in part based on some behaviors like positivity, support, openness, and interaction. And in essence, that all friendships require certain levels of these things in order to be successfully maintained. Some studies indicate that how men and women maintain their same-sex friendships are actually different. Some suggest that women engage in more self-disclosure in their friendships and use more relationship maintenance behaviors. So they might use more frequent interactions, more supportiveness and openness than male-male friendships. So you get the idea. An example of more supportiveness might include talking through someone having a tough time at work or in their personal life or listening or providing emotional support or letting them know that you're there for them. But even though female and male friendships seem to be maintained a little differently, it also appears that this doesn't necessarily affect how happy they are with their friendships. Unsurprisingly for everyone, research consistently finds that with closer friendships, we generally engage in more of these maintenance behaviors compared to our less close friends. Research also indicates that good friendships have a perceived equality of maintenance, which makes sense. So no one's taking the other person for a ride and we've all had a friend or perhaps been the friend who relies on the other one to keep the friendship floating along. You know, where one person does all the conversation initiation, all the organizing of hangouts, the effort levels are just higher on their side. These are the kinds of people who usually end up getting annoyed if they're the ones pulling all the way to the friendship, getting annoyed at or resentful of the other person. And often the friendship will not last because of that. In a similar vein, we've also all been in those frustrating scenarios where you have someone that you consider a friend and you start to realize that every time they call you, all they do is talk about themselves. Not in a way where they happen to be having a bad day once or twice, which might be okay, but in a way where this becomes the totality of your friendship, you listening to them talk about themselves. And we've all had scenarios where we've been frustrated because someone doesn't seem to be listening to us because they interrupt or they take anything that you say about your life and flip it to bring it back to themselves. Some people I've met are very, very gifted at this <laughs> as an aside. I'm sure we've all done it before, but some people just have the knack for it. So there are lots of different examples of things that we all experience and probably things that most of us have done before without realizing that might feel as though we're nurturing a friendship because I'm calling this person and I'm talking to this person, but the substance of it is not actually serving both parties in the way that a friendship should. So that interactive reciprocity and equality has to be there and we have to use that. Asking about your friends and being engaged with their lives as a way to nurture a better bond. 
When it comes to friendship maintenance, I think there's a lot to think about in light of our current circumstances. First of all, we have more ability to maintain friendships now because technology gives us the opportunity to connect with people instantly, wherever they are, to share things with people on social media or to call them. You can't compare that kind of access with the letter writing of the ancient times or even more modern times before people had mobile phones. But because now it's so easy to talk to people, does that mean it's also easy to provide the perception of maintenance? Checking in with people, messaging them to ask how they're going and they say fine and you say that's good and they say yep and what about you and then it just is this same conversation loop that you always engage in. Is it possible to provide the perception of maintenance without the hard work of being more vulnerable or putting in more effort to have conversations that go deeper than simply the pleasantries? I was looking up different ideas around this when I came across the term performative friendships, which is a term that's come up probably a lot more in our collective culture in the last couple of years, it seems. And performative friendship is one where someone focuses more on making the friendship look really good to others than actually having a good friendship. It's intrinsically linked to someone making things about them and how they are perceived rather than a friendship about a mutual genuine affection for a person. And some examples that popped up first when I was Googling this were things like when someone posts a picture of their friend on their friend's birthday to say happy birthday, but in the picture, the person that posted it looks really good and the friend whose birthday it is doesn't actually look very good. It's an objectively bad photo of the birthday person. Or an example where you buy flowers or a gift for your friend And then you take a photo of them holding the flowers or the gift, saying something like, I'm so glad my beautiful friend liked her flowers. Because a post like that is all about you showing how great a person you are and an outward demonstration of how close you are with your friend. It doesn't actually contribute to anything of substance. I'm sure this kind of thing exists outside of social media as well. Maybe an example might be someone who's always talking about how close they are with their friend and how they just get each other and they do everything together and wow, how great are we? I'm sure that happens, but social media makes it easier to do. It's like when you take a picture of you and your friend and you both pretend to laugh for the photo, but you're not actually laughing. And then you put it up as a demonstration of look how much fun we were having, but you weren't actually laughing, you were posing for the photo. And it brings me great shame to admit that I am super guilty of having done that before. That's a bit embarrassing. But I don't think there's necessarily anything bad about posting about your friendships on social media. Social media is designed for us to share who we are with others and connect with people. But I think there is a problem when, for example, I went out to a gathering with friends and some people were more focused on documenting how fun the gathering was on their Instagram stories the whole time that they ended up with a camera in front of their face the whole time and they didn't have any conversations with anyone. From all the research I've read so far, the dyadic friendship, that is the relationship one-to-one between friends, between two people, that's the most important thing. That's the core of your connection that brings you happiness and fulfills you. So maybe in the modern day, one of the biggest challenges here is one of presence in the fact that we end up sometimes more outside of some of our friendships than within them. So what do we need to do here? How do we correct that path and get ourselves on track to fostering more connection? I think one could argue that we need to consider our intention and effort levels. Maybe we should separate our social media desires and our friendship desires because it's all well and good to want lots of followers. 
that's fair enough to me. Lots of people make good money out of that. And arguably, I mean, a lot of people probably won't agree with this one, but arguably it's also okay that we desire the nice little dopamine hit that comes from more engagement on our posts. But if that's the case, we still need to be able to differentiate that from friendship and not think that these things on social media are the ones that will fulfill our needs for social connection. And that's where effort comes in. I think instead of assuming as one might, as maybe even I did before looking at this, that friendship is an organic enough part of life that it'll simply find you. Instead, we have to dedicate ourselves to fostering and nurturing our friendships and connections like we might commit to other things like our work projects or our fitness. The gravity and esteem the ancient thinkers put on friendship is perhaps something that we can try to bring back and revive with the intention and the effort behind it. I suspect perhaps we'd all be a lot happier that way. I've been trying in the last year or so to try and be more present when I'm with friends. Simon Sinek, who is a great human who wrote Start With Why, which you might be familiar with, he talks about this a lot as the key to fostering true connection in the modern day. There's a really good video online where he talks about how if you're out with friends, you need to be out with friends. You should be putting your phones away so that you're not tempted to pick them up out of habit in a moment of pause in your conversation. And when you're with people, you need to actually be with them. They should be your first priority. It shouldn't be that you get distracted by your digital addictions. And I think this is something we can all probably put more effort into to level up our friendship virtue in the modern day. Catching ourselves when we find ourselves drifting away from a conversation and genuinely asking people about themselves and what's happening in their lives asking about things that are important to them and focusing on the quality of our interactions rather than the fact that we're having them. I think we absolutely focus way too much on frequency of interaction and place that above the depth and quality of the interactions that we have. You can speak to someone every day about trivial things and not actually know that much about them and vice versa on their side. I know that for a lot of people, we still aren't socializing physically. I'm one of those people. I'm still staying at home. So we have to utilize technology then in a way that serves us, especially now. And I use that phrase quite intentionally because for all of the negatives that we do potentially get from social media and technology, they have immense positive potential as well. I think it's not the tool itself, but how we use it that makes the difference to whether it helps us find more connection or detach us more. And something many people have been doing lately is video calling their friends using apps. I think this is a brilliant opportunity to facilitate stronger friendships because on a video call, you're still not getting that really nice impact of physical closeness, but you can see each other's faces. And that by itself is a much more humanizing thing. So it puts it way above a phone call. I think considering everything we've said, there's also an opportunity now to reflect on what kind of friendships that we want to nurture more and to put more effort and intention into our interactions and really focus on our friendships in the dyadic one-to-one -one form, to ask people more questions, be more empathetic, be honest and even critical if we have to, and be vulnerable about ourselves. If you look at some of the letters ancient thinkers sent to their friends, they're so long and thoughtful and deep and of course... That's a high bar. We don't need to be as deep as ancient philosophers. And sometimes, of course, the lax, jovial, jokey conversations where you share memes with each other and you tag each other in things, they're also undeniably great for us. But perhaps we need to find more of a balance between the shallow stuff and also letting people in on a deeper level to our authentic selves. 
This one is an interesting one because inevitably we all have friendships that end. And under what circumstances we should end them is a really good question. Intuitively, you have two kind of competing ideas here. The first one is that if someone is your friend, then they're your friend. You can't give up on them or abandon them regardless of the circumstances. The second idea is that you should be cutting people off and you should end friendships in certain situations, even if they're your oldest friend. A quote from Epictetus rings true here, and that is, quote, Above all, keep a close watch on this, that you are never so tied to your former acquaintances and friends that you are pulled down to their level. If you don't, you'll be ruined. You must choose whether to be loved by these friends and remain the same person or to become a better person at the cost of those friends. If you try to have it both ways, you will never make progress nor keep what you once had. And in light of some of the other ancient ideas here that friendships are beautiful, important relationships that can help us to become better people, it makes sense that if someone's pulling you down, you have to make a decision on whether you allow that to happen by continuing the great investment that is friendship with them. For Cicero, I said earlier that real friends stick with each other through highs and lows, but he did draw the line. He said that the only thing that you shouldn't do for a friend is something immoral or wrong. You should not lose your morality. You should not lose your ethics and your goodness for the sake of a friend. That's where he draws the line and probably where he would start to cut off a friendship. So now might be a good time to consider who you're surrounding yourself with and whether they're the kinds of people who are these noble friends that we hear about from the philosophers that bring you up and make you better and help you grow and rise or whether they're kind of pulling you down to stay stagnant and static for whatever reason that might be probably a somber note to end on with that one. One of the key points that's come up a few times is how the ancient thinkers often suggest that you have to be a good person to be a good friend. So you should look for people who are already good if you're looking for new friends. I think this connects to that old idea that how you do anything is how you do everything. The kind of people who are kind and compassionate and honest are the kind of people who will be like that with their friends. And maybe those who tend to get jealous or competitive or passive aggressively try to use their friends to make themselves feel or look better, maybe they find those qualities throughout other parts of their lives as well. I think the good thing about this is if we work on being more trustworthy, more empathetic, more open and supportive and reliable and present with our friends, not only will we have more satisfying friendships, but we will probably also be able to transcend those elevations into other areas of our lives as well. Wow, what a whirlwind journey we have been on. So for a bit of a quick too long don't read, in answer to our ultimate question, do you need more friends to be happier? I think we have to conclude not necessarily. That's not a very satisfying conclusion, but that's where I've ended up. Friends can be a really good thing. More can be good, but it's more about the quality of our close friends than the amount we have. There's also probably a case for the loner and for separating solitude and friendship. And according to the ancient philosophers, friendship is an important virtue, a very noble thing, and something that requires a whole lot of effort and intention and good stuff to put into it. And overall, I think now is a great time to contemplate all of these things in our own situations and consider how we might work on enhancing the connections we have in our own lives, or even, unfortunately, in some cases, perhaps cutting off social ties that aren't that good for us. 
And it's time to wrap up now. So thank you so much for listening. I hope that maybe one day you and I can be friends. I mean, haha, Sonia, very funny. The reality is most people listening are probably already my friends. If you haven't already, I would love to connect with you on the podcast Instagram page, which is at Uncomfortable Millennials, or you can get me directly at Sonia Speaking. And because, especially because this podcast is still just a very little baby, I would absolutely super appreciate if you subscribed on whatever platform you're using. If it's worth five stars on Apple, I would love a five star review. I really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone who's given them so far. It's been awesome to actually have a few floating in already. So thanks again and have a good one. I'll see you next week.